night. I had no idea when, uh, uh, when he started showing me some of these things that this would be the topic for tonight. But nevertheless, such as I have, give I thee. Um, Mark, um, Matthew 10, Luke 9, and Mark 6 all tell us about when Jesus gave authority to his disciples here on the earth. Now, let me back up a little bit. and uh, Maybe I should ask a question. How many of you were not here this morning? Okay, well, I'm going to have to cover some ground then just real quickly that, uh, that we talked about this morning. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 on the last night that he was with his disciples. Uh, it seems, we don't know for sure, but it seems that this was the prayer that he prayed with his disciples just before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane uh, and set himself apart to, a little ways to pray from his disciples. The reason that we say that is because uh, he did take himself, um, one gospel account says, about a stone's throw from where the disciples were and he left them, and they, you remember they fell asleep, and they couldn't continue in prayer with him for an hour. And uh, this happened three different times when he came back, and finally he just let them sleep because it was time for the Roman soldiers to come get him and Judas to betray him, and, and you know the story. Well, in Jesus' prayer, in John chapter 17, he talks about two different types of glory. He says, uh, first of all, um, that because he's going back to the Father, he says, uh, Father, I want the glory. I want you to give me back the glory that I had with you before the beginning or before the creation of the worlds. In other words, what Philippians chapter 2 talks about, Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory. That was not the glory that he operated with or the power that he operated with when he was here on the earth. He laid that aside, the Bible says, for the purpose of coming to the earth to be, as, to be a man. Uh, Jesus had to be born into the earth as a man. Certainly uh, the virgin birth was necessary for him to avoid the sin of mankind, the sin of Adam. But, uh, but that was not the glory that he operated with uh, when he was here on the, the earth, healing the sick and doing miracles and, and so forth. Consequently, the question has to be asked, uh, in my thinking, what power was he operating in or what glory was he operating in? And that was one of the questions that the Jews brought to him and said, uh, who gave you this authority? In Mark chapter 11, the end of Mark chapter 11, the first part of Mark chapter 12, they questioned him, who gave you this authority? And Jesus, summarizing his answer, he said, well, I'll answer you if you'll answer me. He said, the baptism of John, was it a baptism of God or of men? And the Pharisees, the religious people, wouldn't answer because they said, well, if we say it was of God, he'll say, why didn't you follow him and believe in him? Good question. If something's of God, why don't we stick to it? But if we say that it was of men, the people will revolt because they all believed John was a prophet. So they said to Jesus, well, we can't answer. And Jesus said unto them, then I'm not going to answer your question. Now remember their question. Their question is, who gave you the authority or the power to do what you're doing in healing the sick and the miracles and so forth? Well, Jesus has already answered their question. Because the same answer to the question he asked them is the answer to the question they asked him. So back to what Jesus asked them. He said to John the Baptist, the baptism of John, who was it of? Was it of God or was it of man? Well, remember John came telling everybody to repent. Repent and be baptized because there's one coming after me. So whose baptism was it? It was the baptism of man anointed of God. So the answer to how Jesus did his works here on the earth was very simply that he was a man anointed of God. Now you remember when John was baptizing in the Jordan River, Jesus came to him one day and he, uh, he came to, to where John was and uh, he, Jesus presented himself to be baptized. John didn't want to do it. He said, it should be the other way around. You ought to be the one baptizing me. And Jesus said, well, it's got to be this way for right now so that the Scripture can be fulfilled. And so John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And the Bible says that heaven opened and the Holy Ghost descended on him in bodily shape as a dove. 
Excuse me a minute. I keep forgetting to turn off this notification thing on my iPad. And for, I cannot figure out why, but people text me during the services. Like I'm going to answer. Anyway, when Jesus is baptized of John in the Jordan River, it says that heaven opened and the Holy Ghost descended on him in bodily shape as a dove and remained. There was a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased and so forth. And uh, therefore, uh, Jesus was operating under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Immediately, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He was tempted of the devil first. Then he returned into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Well, that's new power that he didn't have before. Now, as I said this morning, and forgive me for repeating myself if you were here, but if you weren't, it's necessary for you to hear this. And that is, the church world, by and large, thinks Jesus healed the sick because he was the Son of God. Well, if Jesus was the Son of God, why did he need to be anointed of the Holy Ghost? Let me rephrase that. If Jesus healed and did miracle works because he was the Son of God, certainly he was the Son of God, but he laid aside his heavenly power and glory to come to the earth and be a man. So if he was operating on the earth in the power of God as the Son of God would anyway, why would he need to be anointed? And how is it that only after the anointing he began to preach and say from the scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And why would the power of the Spirit be upon him only from that point forward and not from the time before? Who can anoint God? Now the reality is Jesus had heavenly glory, the glory as one of the, the Trinity, but he laid that aside and came to the earth to be a, a man. And when he was here on the earth to, f to begin the ministry that God had for him to, to break the works of the devil, to destroy the works of the devil and bring us into salvation, that's when God anointed him with the Holy Ghost. So Jesus operated on the earth as a man anointed of the Holy Ghost or anointed of God, which was the answer to the question Jesus asked about John the Baptist. Back to John chapter 17. You remember Jesus praying? Jesus prayed, and he begins his prayer by saying, Father, I'm coming to you now, and I'm asking you to give me back the glory that I had with you from the beginning. See, it wasn't his. When he laid it aside, it wasn't his to take back up. It was in the hands of the Father. It was up to God who would have it or who wouldn't have it, and Jesus is asking for it back. Well, certainly he received it. That's why when Jesus is ascended to the heavens and seated at the right hand of the Father, he tells his disciples, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He's not, he didn't have that authority, all authority in heaven and earth when he was here because he had laid aside his heavenly power and glory. He had authority on the earth to operate as a man anointed of God. But then he goes further down into the, um, into the prayer in John chapter 17, and he prays for not only the 12 or the 11. Judas has already gone his way. But he prays for the 11, but then says, I'm not just praying for them, but everybody that will believe on me through their word, which is you and me. And then he prays this. He said, the glory which you gave me, I give them. Why? Well, he's already said, he that believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also. How are we going to do that works? The same works as Jesus if we don't have the same glory or the same anointing or the same authority. Whichever word you want to choose. How are we going to do the same work if we don't have the same power? So Jesus is praying, knowing that we need the glory that he had here on the earth Jesus is praying, the glory which you gave me, I'm now giving them. And then he prays that we would be one with the Father just as he is one with the, the Father. And that the world would know that we were sent by Jesus just like Jesus was sent by the Father. We said this this morning as well, but I need to catch you up if you weren't with us. How did the people know that Jesus was sent of the Father? By the works that he did. 
Nicodemus comes to him in John chapter 3 and says, Rabbi or good master, we know that you're sent from God because nobody can do this work that you do except God be with them. Well, then how, are, how is the world supposed to know that we're sent of Jesus? By doing the same works with the same power. Now, what power did the, did the disciples or the, the apostles, those who became apostles, what power did they operate with when Jesus was still here? Have you found Matthew chapter 10 yet? Well, if you haven't, just look on with your neighbor. Matthew chapter 10, it says in verse 1, Now when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power. This word power, there are two words, primary words that are used in the New Testament that are translated power. One word literally means authority. It's exousia or something like that. Um, my Greek scholar friends can tell me how to say it, and I don't claim to be a scholar of any type, Greek or otherwise. But one word is exousia. And that's the word that really means authority. It means delegated privilege. The other word that's translated power in the New Testament is the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. And it literally means force or ability. This is the word exousia. It means a privilege, delegated privilege. So when it says in, uh, in verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1 of Matthew, and when he called his 12, unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them authority, not power, not force, but authority against or over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now Matthew is one of the three gospel writers that tell us about Jesus giving authority to the disciples and he's the only one that doesn't tell us what happened as a result. The others do. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 9. Here's Luke's account of when Jesus gave authority to the disciples. Verse 1, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. Both words are used here, ability and privilege. Power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now skip down to verse 6. Jesus tells them something and then here's the result. Verse 6, and they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I want you to notice they didn't have a, a, a trial period. They didn't have classes to learn. Jesus delegated unto them authority over sickness and disease, power to cast out devils, power over the devil's ability to hinder people and, and to oppress them. And they went out and did it. They went out and used it. Look with me now to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. This is after Jesus is in his own hometown of Nazareth. Verse 5, and he could there do no mighty work, save or accept, that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks. Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words says this word sick is literally the word sickly, people that don't have too much wrong with them, minor ailments. He laid his hands upon a few sickly folks, people that didn't have too much wrong with them, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching, and he called unto him, verse 7, the 12, and began to send them forth two by two. And gave them power over unclean spirits. Skip down to verse 12. It tells what he's told them to. Verse 12. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. So notice three of the gospel writers give us the account of when Jesus gave authority to his disciples over the devil. The devil's power. Power to cast out devils. And authority to heal sickness and disease. 
Now, in none of the, we didn't stop to take time to read it, but in none of the, the explanation that Jesus gave, did he say, now, the, if you run into a real serious case of sickness and it doesn't work, don't worry. He made no exception whatsoever. He gave them authority to heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. Jesus did not even consider that there might be something that's too tough for the disciples. He didn't even consider, didn't even intimate that the authority that he gave, and this is authority, not the authority Jesus has now. This is the authority that Jesus had when he was here on the earth. A much lower level of authority. He didn't even consider the possibility that this authority won't work against any unclean spirit or any sickness and disease. No chance, no possibility. Now the church has come up and, and even, even some of the Pentecostals in the church have come up with reasons why. Jesus gave no room for reasons why. He said, I'm giving you authority to cast out devils and over all sickness and disease, go do it. Go preach the gospel and tell people the kingdom of God is coming to you. So they did and they healed everywhere. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 9. I went out of order here so you'd be close enough to the next reference I want you to see in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we won't stop and read the whole thing, but this is the story of the man that brings his uh, son to the, to, well, first the disciples. Really, he's bringing him to Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. When he shows up, uh, when the father shows up with his son who's possessed of the devil, Jesus is away at the mountain of transfiguration. And by the time he gets back there, he sees the scribes around and questioning with the disciples, which is never a good thing. They are not the ones to answer questions. You know, it's an interesting thing. People ought to have enough sense to realize the Bible example. Not everybody that's got power knows the answer to questions. God uses people in different ways. It's, it's always amazed me how God would use somebody in, in miracles, and then all of a sudden they think that they're in a position to teach the church on what they ought to do. Who came up with that idea? Jesus has given these disciples authority over, authority over sickness and disease and the power to cast out devils. But that doesn't mean they know anything. I grew up with the idea that the people that were the, uh, in the highest positions of authority were, must be the smartest people around. I've changed my idea about that a little bit. I used to think that people that were president of corporations must be there because they have earned their way and they're smarter than anybody else and they got their spot. Then I started working for some people. Why do we think it's that way spiritually? Why do we think because somebody has power or is used of God, of the Holy Ghost, to display power, the power of God, why do we think they're smarter than everybody else? That may not be their thing. So the scribes questioning with the disciples was a real problem. Every time it happened. So Jesus gets there and he says, what are you questioning with them? And then he hears a story. Jesus finds out that the father brought his son to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there. And the disciples, expecting to use the authority that he's given them already, three chapters ago, if you will, to cast out devils, they try to cast the devil out and it didn't work. Jesus finally ministers to the guy. The problem is unbelief, the unbelief of the father, not the unbelief of anybody else. But the unbelief of the Father is the thing that hinders the, the power from working. It's the only exception you can ever find to why the power didn't work. And that is the unbelief of the individual. And the unbelief of the individual stops even Jesus' power from working. 
remember we started off in Mark chapter 6, or read in Mark chapter 6, that in his own hometown of Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work, except that he laid his hands on a few folks with a few minor ailments. He didn't have any miracles, didn't have any healing miracles. He got a few folks with maybe a headache healed or something like that, something that wasn't really too much wrong with them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Well, if unbelief hindered the power of Jesus, who had the Spirit without measure from operating, don't you think it'll hinder us too? Well, the same thing happened here in Mark chapter 9 where the disciples were concerned. Their power over the devil didn't work. But the problem wasn't the power that Jesus delivered to them. The problem was the unbelief on the part of the Father. Jesus has to fix that. And so he gets the Son delivered. Now, after this is over, I want you to look down with me in verse 28. After the little boy is delivered, devil's cast out of him. And it says, and when he was coming to the house, Jesus coming to his house. His, by the way, other translations say his house. Talking about in Capernaum. He came to his house. His disciples came to him, asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Why wouldn't it work for us? First time we have record up until this point, first time we have any record whatsoever of it not working with the disciples. Now, folks, if they weren't used to it working, they wouldn't have asked why it didn't work. If they were used to trying and failing... And not getting results, they would have said something to Jesus about, Jesus, this authority that you're supposed to have given us, it doesn't work. But instead they're asking, why couldn't we do this? Which is an indication that they're used to doing it. They're used to exercising authority over the devil. They're used to uh, healing sickness and disease. We've seen in other scriptures previous to this, we've seen that they went out and exercised the authority that Jesus gave them. That they did heal sickness and disease. In great measure. But now they came to a situation where they couldn't do it. So they ask, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus explains. He says, uh, this kind comes forth not but, but, not but by prayer and fasting. Well, Jesus didn't pray and fast. What does praying and fasting do? Does praying and fasting give you greater power? Well, if praying and fasting gives you greater power, then we don't need the name of Jesus. We just need to go without eating. That's not the source of power, folks. Prayer and fasting is not the source of power. Well, what does prayer and fasting do? Prayer and fasting doesn't change God. It doesn't change the power that Jesus has de delivered to the people, to his people. So what does prayer and fasting do? It makes you more spiritually sensitive. Why, the real question is, why was Jesus able to identify that it was unbelief on the part of the Father that was keeping it from working and the disciples couldn't? Because he was more spiritually sensitive. And praying and fasting will do that. It will make you more spiritually sensitive. More sensitive to spiritual things. That's why Jesus didn't have to pray and fast over this. He didn't have to seek an extra charge or, or surge of power to make something happen. He knew what the problem was. And the problem was always the same whenever there was a resistance or a hindrance to it working. It's always the same. It's unbelief on the part of the individual. Now this story shows us that it's not a real hard problem to fix. But you do have to fix the problem. Now here's the question. Or Well, let's keep reading a little bit. Skip with me over a little bit to... Uh, um, bum, 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 bum. Skip with me over to verse 33. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house... This is his house that it's talking about. I, I'm sorry, I referred back to verse 28, talking about his house. That was verse 33 that I meant to say that about. His house was in Capernaum. 
And when he came to Capernaum and being in the house or his house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? What were you all arguing about on the way here? But they held their peace for by the way or on the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Now I've got a question for you folks. How do they not know? How do they not know who's going to be the greatest? Because, see, if they're operating the way that we think, if they operate the way that the natural mind thinks, it would be very easy to identify who is the greatest of the group. And the answer to that question would be whoever's got the greatest power. Whoever's getting the most sick people healed. Whoever's casting out the most devils. That's the way the church judges people now, isn't it? The real important ones are the ones that have a special miracle healing anointing or something like that. Everybody else, you know, well, yeah, they're good. You've got to have them too. But the real big ones, the ones that God uses are the ones that are doing the most work. They're the ones that have the biggest names because their ministry has the widest reach. That's the way the church judges now. The best pastors are the ones that have the biggest churches, right? When we, when we identify it like that, we don't want to really say so, but that's the way the church thinks. I mean, let's be honest. That's the way the church judges things, right? Well, why should we imagine that they're thinking any differently? So how is it that they don't know who's the greatest? Why doesn't Peter step up and say, well, I got the crippled guy healed. And you guys have just been dealing with blind eyes. Now, blind eyes are good, all right, but hey, my guy was crippled. Or why doesn't somebody say, yeah, but remember that person that was really possessed of the devil? I got them set free. How is it that they don't know? You know why? Because they all have equal power. They all have equal authority. There is nothing about the use of the name of Jesus or the use of the authority that Jesus has delivered them in his name. There's nothing about the use or their experience in the, the, the operation of authority that would cause one to be distinguished from another. Now, we know that, that as time goes by, God has a greater purpose, a greater plan, a greater office for some of these guys than he does for others. He says to Peter, after he's raised from the dead, I'm going to put you in charge. That's what that whole story about feed my sheep, feed my lambs was about. Jesus, or Peter was assigned by Jesus to be the, the head of the church of Jerusalem until he could raise up James, his half-brother, not James the Apostle, but James, his half-brother, to take his place. And that comes about by the time Acts chapter 15 takes place, some years later. So Peter certainly has a more prominent place in the church in the early days of the book of Acts than some of the other guys. But that doesn't make him better. That doesn't mean make him greater. That doesn't give him greater power. That doesn't give him greater anything. They all had equal authority. I want you to see that. They all had equal authority because it's the same authority that Jesus delivered to them. Now skip down with me another couple of verses. I want you to see something else here. Jesus talks to him about the greatest will be the least and the servant and so forth. But that's not our purpose tonight in our message. So I want you to skip down with me to verse 38. And John answered. John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name and he followed not us. And we forbade him because he followed us not. 
Can I ask you a question? How does anybody outside of the 12 that Jesus has given power and to cast out devils and authority over every sickness and disease, every manner of sickness and disease, how is anybody else getting, getting results? I thought this was delegated authority. Who delegated it to this, these guys? How is it working? Folks, I have only one answer. And, and you can judge this for yourself and see if it makes sense to you. But there's only one answer that I can come up with that makes any sense at all. And that is, you remember over in Matthew chapter 7, we looked at that this morning. The people were astonished at Jesus' doctrine for he taught them how to hold authority. He taught them that man's authority was supreme. Not God's authority. Not the sovereignty of God. Not the power of the devil. He taught them that man had authority. That has to be true because even in the Old Testament, the days of Moses, Moses says on behalf of God, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, you choose life. Well, if man doesn't have the authority to choose, why is he telling them to choose? My thinking on this, maybe I should ask it as a question, is it possible that the, that the teaching of Jesus, that man has authority, that it's up to man in the exercise of his spiritual authority through his words, just like God started things in the beginning, just like he gave Adam in the beginning and gave him dominion over the works of his hands, is it possible that Jesus' teaching that the exercise of authority from man or through mankind was so pervasive that people heard that teaching and started doing it on their own even outside of the 12. Certainly has to be considered as a possibility, isn't it? Certainly has to be considered as a possibility. Now here's a question. We've seen that Jesus delivered unto his disciples power and authority, power over unclean spirits, authority over sickness and disease. We've seen that the only thing that keeps it from working that we have record of in the, in the four Gospels is unbelief. And the same unbelief kept it from working through Jesus and it kept it from working through the apostles. Same unbelief. The way to overcome or counteract unbelief is to teach. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So that's what Jesus did every time he encountered it. He taught the man in Mark chapter 9. Taught the father enough so that the father could step over from unbelief into belief even though it was a shallow step. And in his own hometown of Nazareth, he went around about their cities and villages teaching. He's trying to counteract unbelief every time he runs into it. He teaches so that people believe, and when people reject, he tries to counter that unbelief through teaching more. But how is it, since the disciples have been given power and authority, power over the devil and authority over, un, over sickness and disease, how is it that we see no record whatsoever of the, de of the disciples, the apostles, ever feeling anything. Because, see, we confuse power with feeling. We, uh, we confuse authority with feeling. And there's only one time, even in Jesus, who had the Spirit without measure, there's only one time in the 19 individual cases of healing that are recorded in the four Gospels. Only one time does it ever specifically say that Jesus felt anything or that anybody else felt anything. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Story is the woman with issue of blood. Verse 25 says there was a certain woman which had a 
issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in, behind, in the press behind and touched his garment for she said, here's her faith in action. Faith is exercised, spiritual authority is exercised through your words. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Notice she did not say, if I touch his clothes, I'll feel something. That's not where her faith is. She said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt. Something happens, and she feels it. She didn't feel it before it happened. She felt it after it occurred. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue. Here's the word dunamis. That's usually translated power in the New Testament. Virtue or power had gone about out of him, turned him about in the press, and said, Who touched my clothes? Now, let me show you another couple of places. One is in Matthew chapter 14. You can turn here if you want to. If you don't, that's all right. I'll give you the reference. Matthew 14, verses 35 through 36. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought into him all that were diseased. They're rounding up sick people for Jesus. And besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Did they feel it? Don't have any record of it. They must have heard something about Jesus' power to heal the sick through the touching of his garment, because that's what they that's what they asked to do. And it says, as many as touched were made perfectly whole. But it doesn't say that anybody felt anything. Look with me over to Luke chapter six. Or I'll, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll give you the, the reference again if you don't want to see it for yourself. Luke chapter 6, verses uh, 17 through 19. And he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples. And a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem. And from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Now this word virtue is the same word dunamis. It's the word power in Mark chapter 5 talking about the woman with the issue of blood. When she felt something. Here it says that power went out of Jesus when people touched him. But notice you decide for yourself what people felt or if they felt anything. Notice the scripture does not say anybody felt anything. It said power went out of him. But it doesn't say anybody felt anything. Now here's the question. Why is it with Jesus who... who we know that more than 19 people were healed in Jesus' ministry. The Bible talks about multitudes coming to Jesus, and he healed them all. Well, I don't know how many a multitude is, but that's got to be a lot more than 19. John said of his own record, he said, if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. Well, then Jesus had to do more healing than what we have record of. That tells me that the 19 cases that we do have in the four Gospels gives us a complete picture of Jesus' healing ministry, but not the, the quantity or the measure of everybody that he healed. I don't believe there was anything that was left out that would tell us any more about the Jesus and his healing ministry than what we have record of in the four Gospels. If that were the case, then the Holy Ghost has done us a disservice by choosing the ones that he did or limiting the ones that he chose. Wouldn't you agree? So of the, of the, how many should we say? How many should we estimate? Should we say that hundreds of people were healed in Jesus' ministry? Should we say that thousands of people were healed in Jesus' ministry? I'm comfortable with thousands. 
but you decide for yourself. How come it is? Or how come is it? Which, which way is better English? Well, whatever. How come? We have only one example, one record, one where it specifically says that Jesus felt anything or somebody else felt anything. Wouldn't you think that Jesus, who had the Spirit without measure, would have had a lot more feeling about it? Wouldn't you expect that Jesus would be feeling things, the spiritual power that he had, in a lot greater measure than just one time? Wouldn't that just make sense? Yet to say that it was more than one time would have to add to the Scripture. Well, then here's my other question. How many times did the disciples feel it when they cast out devils or when they healed the sick? We have no record that they ever felt anything. The one opportunity that they had to tell us that they might have felt something on occasion is left out in Mark chapter 9 when they said, why couldn't we do this? They didn't say, well, we didn't feel anything. We knew it didn't work because we didn't feel the power. Well, then where did we get the idea? Now, I'm not just talking about the modern-day church that doesn't believe in healing much at all anyway. I'm talking about us. Where did we get the idea that we're supposed to feel something? Where did we get the idea that it's not working unless we feel it? Where did we get the idea that we've got to feel something if we're going to take authority over the devil? Or we're, gonna, we've got to, or we're supposed to feel something when we lay hands on the sick so that we can expect them to recover? Where did that come from? Sure didn't come from the Bible. Sure didn't come from the example we have from either Jesus or the disciples. Put yourself in positions where, and think about situations that you have authority. Whether it's authority with your kids, whether it's authority on your job, or whatever the case is. Do you always feel like you have authority? And what's that supposed to feel like anyway? You're supposed to feel like a bully so that your kids do what you tell them to do? Or else it won't work? That's not the way it works, is it? We don't look for feelings when we exercise authority in our everyday lives. You exercise authority when you spend money. You have authority to spend or to save. When you go into a restaurant and you order a meal, you're exercising authority. You have a right to expect what you're paying for to be received. You have a right to ask the waitress or, or your server to provide something that's been left out or not to your liking. That's an exercise of authority. Well, folks, if, if people try to bully other people into doing things in those situations, we think they're jerks. If they try to exercise some feeling of power over somebody in a situation like that, sometimes other people will step up and defend the people, the ones being done wrong, right? So where do we get the idea that there's this feeling of power in order for authority to be exercised? It's not there. It's simply not there. A lot of times, in business situations, the person with the greatest authority is the quietest one in the room. Because everybody else is trying to prove what kind of juice they've got. The person with authority is sitting back saying, I don't care what anybody does, my decision holds. Right? Why do we think it's different spiritually? Uh, folks, I'm talking to me. You just happen to be here while I'm asking these questions. But this is the stuff the Lord's been dealing with me about. 
why do I think that it's supposed to be some feeling of power? And I got to admit, I had the idea, or have had the idea, I'm changing my thinking about it, but I have had the idea that Jesus, who had the Spirit without measure, must have walked around the room or walked up and down the roads of Galilee, pulsing with power. It would seem to me that that's the way it ought to be. It would seem to me that God would want to put something on Jesus so that everybody knows who he is. Yet the Bible says that he was rejected and despised men. He wasn't anything special to look at. That baffles me. Why wouldn't God make Jesus the strongest and the most handsome guy around? Why would the Bible specifically tell us that there's nothing about his appearance that we would consider comely or out of the ordinary or something that would cause us to pick him out of the crowd? See, my thinking would rather, uh, rather be in line with Jesus looking like the leading man. Everybody else just looking like extras and common folks. But Jesus just being the leading man, man, he is the dashing, good-looking guy. The Bible says that wasn't the case. Well, I want it to be the case. But it's not. And no matter what I conjure up, whatever I imagine in my thinking, no matter how I imagine Jesus walking into a crowd, taking control of everything and saying, I'm the son of man, I'll heal the sick now. It's not the way it works. Instead, we see Jesus waiting for people to come to him. People crying out, have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus walks by and leaves them. Let's them, lets them chase him down. Sometimes blind guys. Let's them chase him down, follow him wherever he's going. And then he asks, what is it you want me to do? That's not my picture of what Jesus should be like. My picture of what Jesus should be like is the guy that obviously has power obviously has authority i mean you just look at him and feel something you ever been in the presence of somebody that was considered to be great by other people i had had to happen to me many times but there there have been a couple of times where i've been around somebody that was either famous or somebody that was um well i don't know how to say it they had just had a charisma about them i remember one time in particular i was around somebody i don't even want to tell you who it is but I was around somebody, and you could just feel their presence when they came in the room. Just feel their presence. But I've also been around other people that were greatly used of God. I've been around Lester Summerall. I've been around Brother Hagen. I've been around T.L. Osborne. Men that were used of God, and, and, and the rewards are just off the charts because of the way God used them. And I never felt that about them. I asked Brother Hagen about that one time because I was telling him about the experience I had being around somebody and he said this, he said, Brother Hagin said, when you get in the presence of a man, that's got a, the, a man that's greatly used of God, you'll find out that part of the reason God uses him in such a great manner is because he realizes he's not a great man. He's a man with a great God. Well, see, that doesn't fit my picture, my, my mental picture or my mental image of what Jesus should have been like. Jesus was the son of God. He should have walked into the room. Every step he took should have caused everybody to quake. But that's not the way he was. Is any of this ringing true? See, we think that there's some kind of feeling associated with it. We think that there's some kind of tingle with the power to heal the sick. And it's just authority. I don't mean to make that sound demeaning because there's nothing greater for the sick than authority over sickness and disease. But it's not without a show. 
It's with an inward compassion. There were very few times you see that Jesus ever raised his voice. A couple of times when he's talking to the crowds. He said he cried with a loud voice on the feast day. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. There were a couple of times he raised his voice with the, the Jews, the Pharisees. I'm pretty well convinced that Jesus was serious when he drove the money changers out of the temple. But for the most part, Jesus is the meek guy. He's the, he's the least assuming fellow that you could imagine. I would even guess this, and, and this is pure speculation, but I would even guess as far as physical presence is concerned, Peter looked like the big dog in the group. Not Jesus. So where did we get the thinking? That there's supposed to be some kind of power or feeling of power associated with authority to cast out devils and to heal sickness. I think I know where it comes from. I think in the combination of things, first of all, because we're so used to thinking about things naturally. But I think the devil uses it too. I think the devil uses it because most people are waiting to where they feel something before they'll step out and act. I've caught myself in that myself. Personally. Okay, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You just give me that feeling to do it and I'll go. Now, I don't mean anything wrong by that. I'm not, I don't mean anything of unbelief about that. But, you know, I'm just wanting to make sure that it's right. And the way to make sure is to have the feeling to do it. And that's unbelief. No matter how I justify it. If I'm waiting to act on what I already know to do because of what I feel, that's walking by sight. Walking according to the physical senses, not according to faith or the word of God. So I'm taking a new attitude toward this. I'm starting to realize. Let me, uh, <clears throat> let me share one other thing with you. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 13. I'm out of time, so I need to quit this here somewhere in the near future. Luke chapter 13 tells the story of, of uh, Jesus healing the woman that was uh, bent over double. Notice it says, beginning in verse 10, it says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Jesus is just minding his own business teaching. He's not there for the purpose of a healing meeting. He's teaching in the synagogue. What do you think Jesus taught about? Well, we have record in the other places where Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. We have record in other places that people were astonished at his doctrine because he taught about man having authority. I would imagine there's something along those lines. I mean, it doesn't have to be exactly that, but it has to be. I would imagine it to be something along those lines. But nevertheless, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. And was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And Jesus saw her. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Did he feel anything? We'd have to add to the scripture to say that he did. Did she feel anything? would have to add to the scriptures to say she did. But notice it was the action. It was the exercise of authority in two ways. Number one, Jesus said, woman, you're free. Second, he laid hands on her. 
He laid hands on her. There must be something about the contact of, of uh, hands upon the sick that either transmits God's healing power or is symbolic for what is given to one transferred to another. Well, that certainly holds true with the Bible pattern. In the Old Testament, hands were laid on people to receive a lot of things, wisdom and, and set them apart for offices and different things like that. And laying on of hands was a common occurrence to show that one thing is going from one person to another, either actually or symbolically, whether it's a position or whether it's a literal thing. And notice what Jesus did. Jesus, who had the spirit without measure, he had authority over all sickness and disease. He had the power to cast out devils. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. I had the Lord ask me about this last week. He said, why doesn't that work with you? Well, me and my snappy comeback self. I said, that's a great question, Lord. Why doesn't that work with me? He said, what makes the Bible work? I said, faith. He said, how is faith exercised? I said, through the words of my mouth. And then he asked this. He said, what do you say? Well, I've never said, I've never confessed that when I lay hands on the sick, immediately they're made well. Why not? If I've got the same power, the same authority, as we all do, not me anything special, but we all have the same thing according to John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer. If we all have the same authority or the same glory that Jesus had when he was here on the earth, which is authority to cast out devils and to heal every manner of sickness and every manner of disease, why do we not confess that when we lay hands on the sick, they are immediately made well? Why do we sit back and wait? We'll lay hands on them and see what happens. Why do we operate that way? Isn't that walking by sight? Now, have, ever, have I ever considered that to be walking by sight? No. Not me. Not super smart me. Why don't we make those confessions? Now, am I saying that Jesus made those confessions and that's why it worked for him? No, I'm not. I have no idea how Jesus did it. I just know the results that Jesus had. But I know what he asked and challenged me on. So ever since then, that's what I've been saying. When I lay hand on the blind, the blind are immediately made to see. When I lay hand on cripples, they're immediately made to walk. When I lay hand on the diseased, they're immediately made free from disease. And I'm going to keep saying it forever. And I've got to tell you something, folks. It's starting to take root. It's starting to take root. Remember in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 10, excuse me, verse 8. It said, but what saith it, what saith it, this is a quote from Deuteronomy 30. Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 30. But what saith it, the word is nigh thee. Well, I want the word nigh or near me, don't you? Well, how do you make the word near you? It is, the word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we speak or preach. How does the word of faith get in your heart? By saying it first. But we've got it all turned around. Or at least it seems to me that that's the way it works. I know that I've been guilty of this myself. I've been waiting for the word to be in my heart. And then I want to act on it. Well, the only way for it to get in your heart is by saying it. And that's what the Lord has just challenged me on. And it's starting to take root. The more I say it, the more it takes root. The more I say it, the more it takes root. Now, here's what happened. Uh, I'm, I'm finished. We'll close with this. I'm not going to lay hands on the sick tonight. 
Sorry if you're disappointed. Just keep coming. We'll get there. But here's what happened. I began to say it. And I've been saying it for, well, it happened earlier this week, so it's been several days. I began to say that. And while I was praying earlier this week, I had a mini vision. Brother Hagin used to call, used to talk about those. He said he'd have many visions. I've never in my life had a mini vision. He used to say mini vision, M-I-N-I. Make sure you knew what he was talking about, mini vision. And he would talk about how that he'd have these mini visions and there would be flashes of things and he'd just go act them out and God would do great things. Now, I'm not a prophet, so I never really expected to have a mini vision or a vision otherwise. But while I was praying this week, after I've been confessing, saying for several days about when I lay hands on the sick, they're immediately made well. I've been dicing that up every way that I can think. When I lay hands on people with tumors, they're immediately made free from tumors. I've been saying every aspect of that, talking about every uh, part of sickness or characteristic of sickness or uh, whatever that I can think of. If I think of more, I'll add those to it. But after I had been doing that for several days, I was praying, minding my own business, not praying about church, not praying about ministry or, or services or anything like that. I was just minding my own business, and here's what I saw. I saw myself get mad about somebody being bound with sickness. I saw what I said. I saw how I, well, I, I hesitate to say praying because I didn't pray. But I made a declaration, and I was mad about it, just flat and mad about it. I wasn't mad at anybody, but I was mad at the work of the devil that hindered this person in our church. And then I laid hands on them, and they were immediately made straight. Now, you can say that's coincidence if you want to. You can say that I'm just imagining these things because that's what I've been talking about. I don't really care. doesn't matter to me. I know that's what's coming. I know that's what's coming. And, folks, I don't say this to get you thinking, oh, Pastor Mike's going to start doing big stuff. You know what I'd really like? I'd really like for us to come to church and have to take a part of the service every time that we come for people to tell, here's what happened during my week. It seems to me that the reason that the Lord has taken me by, through this stuff step by step, rather than having some of the experiences like Brother Hagin had where the Lord appeared to him and gave him a special healing anointing or some other people's experience that we know about or whatever the case might be, it seems to me that the reason the Lord has taken, us through the, taken me through this step by step is so that you can take the same steps that I'm taking. That would really be my preference. See, my job as a pastor is not to go into great depths with God and go to a great place with God and be there by myself. My job as a pastor is to take you with me wherever I go. Well, I'm telling you how to get there. I'm telling you how to get there. You've been given authority over every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. You have been given authority to cast out devils and to break the devil's power over your life and over anybody else's life who will give you permission. That authority is already yours. The key for us is to find out how do we use it. Well, for me, it's begin to, beginning to say, here's what I've got and here's how it works. So let's all stand. Can I lead you into a couple of confessions before we go? Close your eyes and raise one hand toward heaven because that's who we're magnifying in these things, not ourselves, certainly. And I want you to say some of these things after me. Repeat this after me. Jesus was given authority on the earth to cast out devils, 
and to heal every manner of sickness and disease. Jesus said, because I believe in him, the same works he did are the works that I will do. In order to do those works, I must have the same authority that Jesus had. Therefore, I declare, according to the word of God and the revelation of God's will, that I have authority to cast out devils and to heal every sickness and every disease. I say that the work of God, the healing power of God, flows through me just as it flowed through Jesus. When I lay hands on the sick, they are immediately made well. When I lay hands on those that are diseased, those diseases disappear. When I lay hands on the blind, they are immediately made to see. When I lay hands on those with tumors, they are immediately made tumor-free. When I lay hands on the lame, they are immediately made to walk. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for bringing it to pass. Because you said that whatsoever I say, and not doubt in my heart, but believe in my heart, that the words that I speak will come to pass, I will have whatsoever I say. I therefore declare that when I lay hands on the sick, they are immediately made whole. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Father, that you've made your church, your body here on the earth. The only way that your power can flow is through the body, through us. So we ask you, Father, that as we make these confessions day by day, that the word of God, the truth of your word, the truth of our authority over the devil and over sickness will take root in our hearts. And you'll give us opportunities to lay hands on the sick. And then our words will come to pass. The sick shall be made whole. Thank you, Father, this, this church, this place becomes a, a storage house for the power of God. So that our purpose for coming to church and our purpose for services is so that we become recharged with the power of God to take it out to the world. We come here to recharge and we take it out into the world to discharge the power of God. To minister it to the sick, the hurting, the oppressed. Thank you, Father, that we do the same works that Jesus did and even greater works because he went to the Father. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the glory that you had here on the earth that you've delivered unto us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your church is a place of healing, it's a place of freedom, it's a place of power. In the name of Jesus. Everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed.